All right, I hate to draw your conversations to a close, but I do want to spend a few minutes with y'all uh, looking this what we're going to be looking at this upcoming week. Um, before we do that, though, I do kind of want to pause and just in a very quick sort of glance look at everywhere that the E100 has taken us. Because if you look at your mark, uh, your bookmark, uh, this is actually the very last week of the challenge. So y'all are almost there. Uh, but you'll remember that the E100 showed us the beginning of all things, how God created the world with a purpose, and how God called his people Israel, and how he used the patriarchs in Genesis to do that. Uh, the E100 then led us through the history of that relationship, how it was sealed in covenant at Sinai, how it was sort of proven by the conquest of the uh, promised land by Joshua, and how that relationship was preserved at crucial moments in the history of Israel, such as at the Red Sea or at exile in Babylon. The E100 then gave us sort of concrete day-to-day advice on how to be in relationship with God. And we read that in the wisdom poetry of the Bible, the Proverbs and the Psalms. And, and then we looked at the great prophets, who of course are masters of calling us back into a relationship with God over and over and over again. The E100 then led us up the mountaintop of the Gospels, right? We spent a good two weeks up on that mountain to see the great climax of salvation history in Jesus Christ, and then to see how the history of the community that was born out of Christ, um, what that was like in the book of Acts. Finally, this past week, uh, the E100 led us to the writings of Paul, who stops and he turns around and he tells us what the whole meaning behind the story that has been narrated to us, what it's all about, which can, of course, be summed up in that verse that um, Tom lifted up for us last week in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, now having journeyed through all of that material, y'all are ready for the end, right? The end. Uh, the first five readings from this week are from uh, various different apostles. You've got more Paul, you've got Peter, James, and John. And you're going to find as you read those passages that each one of those apostles um, has a different emphasis in his writing, right? But all five of those passages, you're going to find in some way or another, you're going to find a reference to the end. Now we see dimly in a mirror, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, but then we will see face to face. Blessed is the man, says Peter, who remaining steadfast, I'm sorry, James, for he will receive the crown of life. Uh, You have been born again, says Peter, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and is kept in heaven for you. Love is being perfected in us so that we can have confidence in the day of judgment, says John. So indeed, just as the Bible argues that the beginning of all things has a purpose behind it, so also it emphatically argues that there is a purpose, a goal, a destination that everything is headed towards, and that destination is new creation. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, as you'll read this week, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Indeed, in Christ, God is renewing the whole world, and there's no better expression of what that new creation looks like than the book of Revelation, which you will be spending a good bit of time with uh, this week. But reader beware before you complete this last leg of the journey. 
Uh, Revelation is easily the most difficult book of the Bible to read and to understand, right? You could read that book every day for the rest of your life, and you would still have questions about it, I guarantee you. And my first piece of advice as you read Revelation is actually, the E100 has different sections, but I would actually recommend just taking an hour and reading the whole thing. Uh, In seminary, I had a good friend in class, she was on the more liberal side of things, and I was on the more conservative side of things. I had a very high view of Scripture. She had sort of a very um, critical view of Scripture. And we got to the book of Revelation at the end of the course, and, and she was like, I don't understand this. I don't know why we read it. Like, I just give up. And I said, let's try reading it together. So we sat. It took us about two hours. I read chapter one. She read chapter two. I read chapter three. She read chapter four. And as, it, and as we went through it like that, you see John's images just sort of washing over you. And it has this magnificent effect if you kind of let it take you instead of trying, you trying to take it. But indeed, uh, once you read through it, you're going to ask yourself, what does all of this mean? What does all of this mean? And there are three sort of um, different schools of thought on how to take the book of Revelation. There are some uh, people who argue that this is a book from the past, primarily about the past. That what John is doing here, and all of his symbols, all of his characters, all of his settings, is he's referring primarily to events that are happening around him around the turn of the first century in the Roman Empire. And indeed, there's probably some truth to that. Uh, at, At many places, it seems that Rome is being specifically sort of described, if you will. And um, that's clearly a, um, a good part about this view of the book of Revelation. But Revelation is clearly supposed to be about more than just the past, right? There's also those people who say that it's primarily a book about the future. And these, this is probably the reading of Revelation you're most familiar with. Think about the Left Behind series. This is the one that's kind of popular in pop culture. Uh, but these people say Revelation is basically all about what's coming next or, 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 or one day down the road, right? Revelation is intended for us to know certain things about the future. And again, there's some truth in this. A revelation is indeed describing something that has not yet fully happened. And yet, I say this very clearly, Revelation is not a code book to figuring out the future. It is not designed that way. Jesus himself, in multiple places in the gospel, says it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Uh, the revelation does not contradict that. The revelation does not, is not intended to give us specific sort of details to look for so that we can say, gotcha, God, I know exactly when the end is going to happen. That's not what the book of Revelation is for. There's a third view that says that this book is about the now. That what John is doing here is he's writing to Christians, not necessarily about events that are actually going to happen, but it's really more of an encouragement for Christians going through difficult times. But again, there's sort of a uh, deficiency with this view because Revelation is clearly describing a reality, not just a fantasy. It's not just a fantasy world that John is setting up for us, but a reality that has yet to actually fully happen. So, there are problems with all three of those views of Revelation. And how is it, in the light of that, that we are supposed to understand this magnificent book? Well, the first thing I would tell you is to pay attention to where it falls in the Bible. It's placed at the very end for good reason. 
reading, reading Revelation before any other book of the Bible is a bit like watching the end of The Lord of the Rings, where or Frodo sails off into the sunset and Sam returns to the Shire. And if you haven't seen The Lord of the Rings, you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? It would make just as little sense to skip to that scene uh, than it does to start out by reading the book of Revelation. And that's because Revelation, believe it or not, it has the most Old Testament allusions of any New Testament book. Any New Testament book. That's more than Mark, that's more than Luke, more than Paul. A revelation is just chock full of, of references to the Old Testament. There are 404 verses in Revelation and over 518 Old Testament allusions. That's incredible. And the really incredible thing is that nowhere does John directly quote from the Old Testament. What he does is to rather allude in subtle ways with symbols, with visions, with images, um, 518 times to the Old Testament. On every single verse in the book of Revelation, John's actually like pointing us to different parts of the Bible. It's kind of like scrolling down to the bottom of, of a Wikipedia page and it's got all those little blue hyperlinks, you know. That's kind of what the book of Revelation is. It's hyperlinking us to all these different parts of the, of the Bible. So Revelation ends the Bible because what it ultimately does is it pulls together all the sort of hanging strands of the Bible into one vision. If you want a really good book about Revelation, uh, this is the best one I can recommend. It's called Reversed Thunder. It's by Eugene Peterson. He's the guy who wrote the message. Uh, this is an excellent treatment of Revelation. It's not academic at all. It's very meditative. But this is what he says in his introduction about Revelation. He says, I do not read Revelation to get additional information about the life of faith in Christ. I've read it all before in the Law and Prophet and Gospel and Epistle. Everything in Revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. The Revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The truth of the Gospel is already complete. It's revealed in Jesus Christ. There's nothing new to say on the subject. But there is a new way to say it. I read the Revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. The imagination is our way into the divine imagination, permitting us to see wholly as whole and holy what we currently perceive as scattered, as order, what we perceive as random. I like that. The Revelation doesn't say anything necessarily new. What it does is it says everything the Bible has already said in a new way that ignites our imaginations. The second thing to pay attention to as you're reading this book is who exactly is writing it. Uh, it says in verse 1 of chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the things that must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Well, who's John? A lot of people think that John is probably uh, the writer of the gospel and also those three epistles that we find right before Revelation in the Bible. And I think there's a good um, argument for that. Uh, there's a lot of um, imagery in the Gospel of John. Jesus as the Lamb of God. Jesus as the Word of God. Jesus as living water. Uh, those things are all repeated in the book of Revelation. So indeed, I, I personally think that John, uh, this John is actually the writer of the Gospel and the epistles. There are some who argue that, but that's okay. It doesn't matter, though, because there are three things to know about John, the writer, as sort of a character. And that is, first of all, he's a theologian. John knows God 
through and through. He's let God shape his whole way of thinking and seeing the world. And John contemplates God constantly. He adores God constantly. He worships God constantly. John can't know God fully, and yet we find in John a man who is fully saturated by the Holy Spirit in his life, right? But John doesn't know God in a removed sort of way, right? This is not an academic writing from an ivory tower. Rather, this is a man who is a prisoner on the rocky, miserable island of Patmos who's suffering as he's writing this book. And in line with the church's greatest theologians uh, from across the ages, uh, knowing God really comes through suffering. You think of, the, think of Bonhoeffer in this past century, uh, one of the great theologians from this past century who really understood God because of what he suffered in Nazi Germany. Well, the same is true with John suffering on Patmos, and that's what makes him a theologian who really knows God. John is also a poet, and as a poet, he uses words not to describe, but to make. That's what a poet means, is, is to make something. So John is making for us a new reality, again, that's stringing together all of those illusions from the Bible. And the Bible's already said all of the information we need to know about God, about salvation, about Jesus, about sin. It's already given us all the information we need. What John does now is to breathe fresh life into those ideas so that they become a living, played-out reality for us. And finally, though, and this is the most important part about John, John is a pastor. John is a pastor, and he's writing this book um, to Christians in specific places in specific times. He says in verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, I, John, your brother, am partner in tribulation. John's writing this book for people that he knows about, he cares about. In fact, the book starts with a message to the seven churches. Uh, and, and we know very truly that, that John must have known Christians in those communities. And these are Christians that face persecution, they face hunger, they face apathy, they face poverty, and just like us today, they face the constant temptation to just give up. The book of Revelation is this glorious glimpse of the end as a way of John saying, hey, chin up. Despite the confusion around you, despite the chaos, despite the persistence of evil, God really does have a plan. And the lamb who was slaughtered will end up reigning. The Revelation, therefore, most of all, is a pastoral book. It's there to guide us. It's there to shepherd us as we go through life and, and as we don't know what things are coming down our way. The Revelation of John is a word from the past. It comes to us from the past. It is about the future, about a living reality that will happen one day. But that reality is spoken into our lives now to give us strength as we need it. And just to sort of close out our time together and give you a foretaste of what you will read uh, this week, I just want to end by reading the end of Revelation, um, one final image from the 22nd chapter and one final message. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will anything accursed be there, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, 
and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And skipping ahead to the end, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all.